Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with three ensemble members of Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern about developing characters, inspiration, and their experience in Little Green Pig's upcoming original devised piece, Norway. Norway was developed over the course of a year and based on the contributions of 25 actors. Although the original seed of this piece was the 2011 Norway terrorist attacks by a lone gunman who killed 77 people, as you'll hear in our conversation, the LGP script comes at this inciting incident at a slant and doesn't directly engage the tragedy, rather the audience and the characters are left sorting through faint residue and the fallout that remains eight years later. Little Green Pig is in the midst of their $0 ticket season, meaning tickets are free for audience members. Please do reserve your tickets, however, since they tend to go quickly, and consider becoming a monthly patron of Little Green Pig. A steady stream of giving makes the $0 ticket season possible. I'll include ticket information and their Patreon link in the show notes, and what the heck, while you're there, consider becoming a monthly patron of Artist Soapbox, too. Yes, that's right. We have a Patreon campaign. Thanks so much. On to the bios. Kaylee Morrison is an actor and all-around theater artist. When not working on shows or on set, Kaylee enjoys teaching, belly dancing, and doing improv. Be sure to catch Kaylee in Little Green Pigs Norway this May and performing with the super team at The Pit in Chapel Hill. Kaylee Morrison also does all of the graphics for Artist Soapbox. Victoria Bender is a Durham-based actor and costumer. She has recently become more interested in improvisation and devised theater. When not involved with theater, she can be found working as a veterinarian for exotic animals in Raleigh, North Carolina. Maxine Nelois is an actor, writer, director, and filmmaker. Classically trained at Boston University and the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts, Maxine received a Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Acting from Boston University. Since graduating, Maxine has continued to pursue her creative passions through film and theater with over 14 film credits, including Blue Crossing, Roll Pin Punch, and The Last in Line. Maxine is also a company member at Theater Delta, Theater for Change, Curious Theater Collective, and Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Maxine, Victoria, and Kaylee. I'm excited to talk to all three of you at once. I feel really (laughs) (laughs) very lucky to have three wonderful actors in the same room with me. Part of what I'd like to talk about today is what inspires us as actors, and I thought the most obvious place to begin would be with a show that you are all participating in, and that is Norway, that will be produced by Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern in May of 2019. So first off, I'm just going to read the description to give our listeners some context. Norway is written and directed by Jaybird Oberski. It's based on the improvised work of 25 actors. This devised piece looks at the everyday lives of friends and family members eight years after a tragedy rocks their tightly knit 
community. So we are recording in February, and the rehearsal process is really not going to kick into high gear for a little while. But I understand that this piece has been in development. Has it been a year? It's yeah, basically been a, a year. year. Yeah. Okay. So would you talk about what that development process has been like for you as an actor? So we started off, um, I think we were all pretty much sent an email and said, hey, we're going to do this play about this thing. And we weren't sure what we were embarking on at first, I think. And a bunch of us got together and um, we had to come up with uh, a person who we would have lost um, in this attack and kind of go from there. Eventually, we kind of got shifted into these pods, these family groups. um, And we've just been building those relationships and storylines um, in a little one-off rehearsal since then, once a month, mm-hmm. just about. Okay. And Victoria, mm-hmm. what was it like for you? Yeah, so it's it's been really interesting, um, kind of just starting with a character completely from scratch and getting to do a lot of improvisation to learn about that character and their relationships with the other characters. And um, it's kind of unique in this kind of devised process to kind of really get to know that character inside and out. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that character, but the universe that they're kind of playing in. You know, you're you're kind of adding depth to this character over time. Um, even if the rehearsals haven't been that frequent, just knowing a character for a full year and getting to know them and how they interact with different people, you know, 25 different actors. Um, and then, you know, adding in the depth of their characters to that has been really unique. Um, in kind of the character development process. It's um, definitely different than anything I've done before. It's so funny because when you think about, you know, traditional plays and, and scripts, you have so much information that you're given about these people in their world. And then, of course, you know, there's some that you are responsible for creating and, and kind of developing yourself. But this is like the exact opposite of that almost. Like you start with with nothing. And um, I remember one of the first assignments we had was to find a name. And I was like, oh, I really want like a super Norwegian name, like something just like mega Norwegian. <laughs> and, and so I was like looking through and I was like, I don't know, you know, who this person is yet. I don't even know what what their deal is. So what am I going to, what am I going to do? What, what should I do? So I started looking through all these, you know, different databases of like Norwegian names. And I ran into the name Solvig, which means um, daughter of the sun or, uh, you know, sun God. And there was something about that that really connected with me. Um, uh, and that's kind of, I was like, well, I guess she's kind of st- drunk or something and that maybe she'll be kind of strong and I, that was like literally just one little tidbit of finding out a little bit who she is like mm-hmm. maybe she is like this light force um who has kind of evolved and and kind of like built her strength through these experiences so that's kind of where I started with that character and then of course like um, Kaylee was saying we we had these relationships with the people that we lost and um, that was a huge catalyst for uh, you know our connections with each other um, in the room and then kind of devising long-form improvised scenes basically over time um, with these characters. And we do little exercises, too, where we would kind of... Um, one of my favorite exercises was we had the girls on one side, the boys on one, the other side, 
And we're all supposed to be like these young uh, kids in camp at like a school dance. And that that awkward moment of of like, hi, hey, hey there, what's up? <laughs> and we all had to cross the, you know, the floor and just cross like between each other. Um and it was so funny because it's just watching everyone's faces and their reactions and bringing you back to that being like a 14-year-old girl, like being like, oh, my God, I think that guy's super cute, you know? <laughs> so there were like moments like that where we'd have exercises where we could just explore and just be in the moment, be in that world, like in a in a forest or, or in a gym, you know, doing that kind of stuff, which helps to inform the characters as well. So you met, was it once a month over the course of the mm-hmm. year? Right. And it sounds like people brought in things like names or some sense of what their character, kind of their come from place. And then in the room, that's where their relationships were revealed or Mm -hmm. discovered. Do you have another example of a moment when you made a discovery about a relationship with another character? Uh, I feel like there were just so many of them. Mm -hmm. I can think of a few examples. it was just, it's interesting because as much as we came in with some preconceptions of what our character was going to be, it really is so interestingly collaborative mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like, I feel like a lot of when you're working on a scripted play and you're kind of thinking about your character, it really was like discovering a character that was already there. And sometimes I would think she was one thing and we do a scene and I discover, oh, okay, well, I guess that's who she is. Um, I remember very early on in the process. Um, we were doing an improv um, scene, and it was me um, and a character that... So my character is Nina, um, and she lost her boyfriend slash fiancé when they were very young, and she moved on very quickly. And another one of the characters is his brother, and they have a relationship, and we were discovering what that relationship was, and um, we were at a farmer's market, and it, it all of a sudden it started to feel like he was becoming very flirty with me. And there was, you know, a level of resentment for me moving on, but there was definitely some sort of connection. Um, And that was, I think, maybe in our second rehearsal. And then playing into what that relationship was and the sexual tension there Mm -hmm. really informed both of those characters as she, you know, I feel like my character early in the process was kind of naive and just kind of this mother who, you know, had moved on and wanted a family life. And she has uh, changed a lot into somebody who mm-hmm. has a lot of sexual exploits and is mm-hmm. is looking for something that's not there. And that was never kind of what I came into it with, mm-hmm. but something that's gotten deeper and deeper each time. Mm-hmm. And Kaylee, how about you? How has your character developed? Um, well, there was a, a one moment in particular for me that kind of laid out her path um, in, a, in a way. Uh, we were improvising a scene where... Uh, the character who is my older half brother and my aunt, we were all in a restaurant, and they were, um, especially my older half brother, who's played by Wallace Cochran, um, and his character's name is Anders. He was obviously very inebriated, and we're in this restaurant, and I'm trying to keep the, uh, you know, the peace with all this chaos going around. And um, then it was suggested, why isn't all the family, you know? substance abusers mm-hmm. and um, I started to play around with that and uh, yeah it, it's led me into this this very troubled young woman who is trying to have fun and live her life but it's uh, not working out so well for her. Mm-hmm. So you mean that the suggestion was made that maybe this is a family 
trait or family coping yes, mechanism exactly. and that you could then incorporate that into your own mm-hmm. character development. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I, I have read the script and I know that it's still in draft form and mm-hmm. it's being worked on and, and all of that. But what I hear you describing is not – these specific scenes that you were describing have not actually been realized in the script form. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like they were foundational for building your character, but they might not actually make it into the final – Um, script and performance. So talk to me about how this kind of development will inform the final performance. How do you think that will come across? That's something that I've really um, loved about it. It's been kind of like creating a universe in the way of, you know, a comic book or a novel series where not everything is going to directly make it into it, but it's informed kind of like what Kaylee was explaining. It's It's been all of that leading up to the characters to get them where they are. And I think that's one of the things that I've loved so much about the process and that has been something that I'll take away from it is that I think being part of it, all of us have gained so much more than anybody, you know, seeing it or seeing part of it because we know so much about these characters. We know about their universe. And um, even with the 25 actors kind of thing that was mentioned, you know, not all of them are going to be in the performance. We've lost people along the way. And some of those characters will still be mentioned in the script, but never seen. So all of it has been in this kind of world creation. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because, like, my first piece with Little Green Pig was This Is Not a Novel, which was um, uh, a large installation in a warehouse with, I think we had, like, something like 40 different artists. And um, that, uh, the piece that I, I was engaged in was, uh, we called it the Flop House very lovingly. And um, uh, it was, you know, a group of, I, I want to say, six to eight actors. And we, over over the course of maybe six months, would have, like, one once a month rehearsals where we would uh, you know, do long form improv and build characters and everything like that. But when you look at it from the outside, like as the audience, they have no idea the world that we created. Mm-hmm. They don't even know who we are. They couldn't even tell whether or not we were in the piece or just people walking <laughs> in. It. And I, you know, like here, here I am, like walking around with so much intention and so much drive and so much like focus on on my character's narrative and what they need to do and how to propel the story forward. And yet, what you take away from it is like the bigger piece, right? Because it's not just about one character's journey. It's not just about one person's story. It's like the collective, you know, and there's something really interesting, I think, about exploring a bunch of little snippets of people's lives and little pieces of whom these people are that people can find ways to connect, even if they don't know the whole story, um, you know, kind of across the board. And I think that's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of fun to be able to like throw things away and to let things just be and to have a little secret for yourself as a character, as an actor, to be like, ooh, you don't even know this whole story. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's kind of exciting. Yeah, I think these devised and developed pieces are so interesting because I think that as actors, I mean, my experience, I'll speak for myself, is that as an actor, it's some of the most enjoyable work that I've ever done Mm -hmm. is to develop pieces in this way. Mm -hmm. 
I think it gets tricky when you bring it in front of an audience because sometimes it can feel like an inside joke, like mm-hmm. that, that everybody up there knows what's going on, but the audience has no idea. It's like, mm-hmm. I know you know, but I don't get it. What's mm-hmm. going on? And so I think the trick is to be able to translate some of that depth mm-hmm. of experience mm-hmm. and make it accessible to the audience so that they have a sense of the story as well and they can also be folded into the experience because mm-hmm. they are there after all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we as theater makers are trying to have a relationship with the audience mm-hmm. in addition to having a relationship with each other mm-hmm. on stage. So that's, I think that's the trick. But I do love this idea of using improv as a way of not only developing a show, but adding a richness to the character development and most importantly to the relationships that are built between and among the characters on stage. And, I'm, mm-hmm. and I imagine it also really helps for ensemble building with the actual real people, like the actors in the room as well. Um, Do you have any more examples of interesting things that occurred during this development process that you'd like to share? There was a moment with uh, a day where we were supposed to bring in monologues or to devise or improvise monologues. And I remember being like, I have no idea Mm -hmm. what I'm going to (laughs) say. I was like, I have no, I think I'd had like a show or something the night before. I woke up to an email saying that I needed to have a monologue figured out. And I was like, oh man. Um, So I was like, okay, well, what what's going to happen? So we're all sitting in the room and, you know, kind of taking turns just from where we are. And all of a sudden, I got like this, I guess, struck by a muse, I guess you could say, where I I had this moment where my character has been, uh, is a graphic novelist, and uh, her friend that she lost was someone that she collaborated with on these projects. And I just sat there and I just started talking to him as if, you know, kind of reaching out for like advice from him from heaven or wherever you know the beyond somewhere in the universe and that kind of moment was like one of was a really powerful moment in informing me kind of as as a character but as well as like where I see myself in this world and how this relates and that was one of the things that I remember when Jaybird was talking about that uh you know devising this writing the script he was like, I think I want to bring in some of that graphic novel idea, that that myth, that legend into this piece and kind of explore what that's like as like a kind of a structure to, to kind of build this narrative. That was a that was a cool moment to just kind of like take my actor impulses and just run with them, you know, mm-hmm. um, which you don't really which is an awesome opportunity to be able to have. Mm-hmm. I want to touch just very briefly on this loss idea and then kind of take another turn in our conversation. But the script, as I mentioned, is it's still being kind mm-hmm. of pulled together. But in its current um, iteration, this idea of loss is definitely part of the narrative, but it's very subtle. Mm-hmm. And it, I think in some cases, if you're not, you know, looking for it, you might miss it, although it it is there. Mm -hmm. How have you handled this idea of loss in a community in rehearsal, either as a group or maybe individually as you kind of built your characters? Kaylee, do you you want to take this one? Sure. Well, um, I think from the very beginning it was established that this is not about 
the event that happened. This is not about the most immediate reaction to that. It's the space that we find ourselves in eight years, nine years later. And where are we? And everyone's on these different paths. And some people are, for lack of a better phrase, um, over it. And some Mm -hmm. people are very much not. And how does that affect your daily life? It's not where you're talking about it every single day anymore. But how has that, you know, bled into how you live your life every day? And um, how does it affect your other relationships? And um, just where where are you in, in that grief that, that much time later? Seems like an interesting question to ask is, has it changed you? How has it changed you? Mm-hmm. Right? right? Yeah. Victoria, do you have a thought about that? Yeah, I think... So the piece I don't think was ever supposed to be like kind of like a grief porn or like kind of playing into like, oh, boo-hoo, sympathy. Mm -hmm. It's really about the subtlety. So I think that's kind of interesting that you kind of thought it was subtle. And some of it maybe in our daily lives seems subtle, but it may have impacted some of these people really deeply and really influenced their character. And, you know, in eight years, that's just become who they are. Mm -hmm. But maybe, you know, that would have been different if they didn't live through this grief. So um, I think it's it's kind of interesting um, to see, you know, I think that time frame that gap of time is really important and it's been it's been interesting to kind of delve into how how you do deal with grief I think from the process it was a bigger player early on like I think when we started the process we were dealing with who we lost and how we felt about them to kind of bring us back to that moment that moment eight years ago how we felt and then over the last year it's almost been kind of you know, symbolic of those mm-hmm. eight years over the last year, we've kind of moved away from talking about all that grief to dealing with our relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. So it's almost been like that eight years just kind of shrunken down into a one year time frame. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to I want to turn a little bit, but only slightly. because uh, <laughs> We're still going to be talking about inspiration and acting mm-hmm. process and all of that good stuff. But Maxine, you mentioned the experience that actors have very often in quote traditional plays can at first blush feel kind of almost constricting because, you know, we can be, as actors, typecast in certain roles. You know, you have the ingenue or the leading man or the funny sidekick or whatever. So you're kind of placed in this slot. You're given dialogue for a character, including punctuation, and then sometimes some very definitive or explicit stage directions about how a thing should be done. Mm -hmm. So I think for for many of us, when we first step into those characters, it can feel sort of limiting, especially contrasted with this experience of developing characters from scratch. But I've also found that as an actor, there's a lot of spaciousness and liberties that you can take when you are given a character that you can make your own. So I'd really like to talk about your experiences of working with a character that is already defined in a script and how you find inspiration for fleshing that person out. So in other words, like, how do we walk the same path but kind of do it in our own way, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Anybody have an example you'd like to share of that? I feel like I've done a lot of Shakespeare in the past couple of years. That was something I never expected to be doing so much of. I'm really glad that that, that's happened. A little over a year ago, I played uh, Regan in King Lear and starting to do research about King Lear. And everything I read was the the evil daughters, the evil daughters. And that just bothered me so bad because I don't think most people, unless they are literally a cartoon, would Mm. describe themselves as being 
evil. I certainly don't think I am evil. So I was like, okay, well, how do I find myself in, in this per- in this person that's doing all these bad things? And I had to justify it. I had to f- figure out, okay, what has happened to me, Regan, that is causing me to react this way? Why am I so mean to my father? What did mm-hmm. he do to me in my childhood that causes me not to treat him only lovingly? So that's just the first example that pops into my head. So what did you do? How did you figure this out? Um, Oh, I created a really dark, horrible <laughs> backstory to basically in my mind. My, my father had been a, a very abusive person and multiple senses of the word. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had tried to be a, a good daughter and had that kind of perfection complex, which I can definitely relate to in my real life. And, you know, I, I tried to be the perfect daughter. And then once he starts to go off his rocker a little bit, I can kind of come into my own and finally make make calls that I wasn't able to before when he was in full power. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're drawing from commonalities that you find right. between yourself and the character, and I'm not saying across the board, but per- perhaps like this perfectionism or something like mm-hmm, that that you would right. have in common with this with this character, and then also writing this pretty comprehensive backstory to justify her actions in the play. Yes. Yeah. And did you write all of this down? I think I wrote some of it down, but most of it I just I just keep stuff in my head and mm-hmm. walk around with it and let it let it kind of make a little soup in there. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, let it soak in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, great. Are there other ways into characters that you found? It it's not so much a specific example, but I feel like every time I'm working on a character, and one of the reasons I love scripted plays and acting in general is there's that duality between kind of the cerebral and um, reading into the character and reading into the script and kind of that literary aspect to mm-hmm. it, which I really love. Um, and then just kind of your instinct with it. And I think my gut is always to be kind of on that more cerebral literary side. So um, I always I like to like read a lot and kind of come up with a backstory and get into it. And one thing that I've been learning to do over the last few years and pieces like this really kind of force me to do um, is really just to kind of help put it on its feet and decide kind of in that moment how it makes me feel mm-hmm. and let that inform the character. You know, I think my my gut is to want to sit there and I don't want to say overthink it, but, you know, come up with all of their intentions and, and where they are. But so much of it is kind of in that moment, how they how they really feel. Um, so I think that's something that I've I've kind of grown to try to try to embrace more mm-hmm. um, as opposed to try to completely rationalize everything out. Victoria, can we talk for a moment about the character that you played in The Changeling? Because I thought that character was really pretty sharply defined. So what was your inspiration for her, for example? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's one that I think also kind of have changed a little bit, mm-hmm. um, kind of even through that process. Um, I felt like I kind of saw her, so in The Changeling, you know, there were the two separate sides. So there's kind of the, the more tragic side and the comic side. And the two um, female um, characters really mirror each other in their want to break from break free from the constraints that have been kind of forced onto them and they do it in very different ways and you know the choices that they make one kind of leads them toward a more comic ending and one leads them toward a more tragic ending but ultimately they wanted the same thing they wanted some freedom and they wanted uh, to be able to kind of change the situation and have some ability to foster change and in their situations so I think her character 
um, I really kind of found it through through comedy again. Mm-hmm. So being on the on the comic side of things, did you did you watch any you know YouTube videos or did you did the costume help and what what helped you kind of really click into into her? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the idea for that side, we had always kind of talked about it being sort of this more like vaudevillian comedy. So her character was actually based a lot on kind of Mae West. It kind of mm-hmm. it vocally kind of shifted to that. And I started playing with that vocally. And as I was doing that, we decided we were going to do some kind of stand-up comedy. And then that kind of led me more toward like <coughs> Sophie Tucker mm-hmm. and things like that. So all of you know those kind of comedic women um, really helped inform that character. Mm-hmm. So I think that was, that was kind of a big part of it just that the strong comedic women kind of played into into her and finding her the the costume certainly helped to you know kind of that kind of cage bird kind of um, mentality because she really is kind of this cage bird up in a tower um, that needs to is trying to find her way out of that situation or at least trying to bring some light into that situation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how about for you Maxine do you have an example so I have kind of a couple of different ideas. I think for me, at least with the character work, um, when you're having a traditional piece, um, I always start with their their backstory as well. Because whether or not you're playing, like you've gotten a chance to like play like Iago or like even in I'm in a show right now, Ash in Johannesburg, and I play three different characters in that. And to kind of like skirt and like move and shift, you have to be so sure about who these people are, where they're coming from. And the only way you know that is like if you look into their past um, and to like make sense of their life from there. The way that we do with humans, which is one of the things that I find so interesting about humans and one of the things I think I, I love so much about acting is why do people do that? what they do? Like, why? Mm-hmm. Like, there is never one dimensional, like, evil character, like you were saying, Kaylee. Like, there's always justifications for why people think what they're doing is what they need to be doing. And um, I find that really interesting to kind of work with. Um, and I think, um, like, for for the pieces that I'm, the piece that I'm doing now, at least, um, because I get to play these three different characters with three completely different accents. Like I, I play a, an, a British expatriate. I play a, a Zulu woman as well as a Dutch Afrikaner. And um, all of those worlds are so different and all their motivations are so different. And what they want is so different. And I think that's, you know, kind of figuring out how they got to this point and what they're looking for is what kind of helps me dive in mm-hmm. um, and figuring out the world that they live in because it's also a period piece in 1970s. So exploring what South Africa was like at that time, the apartheid, America having just come out of the civil rights movement. So historical and anthropological ways around not just my character, but like the world that they're living mm-hmm. in. And I think all of those things kind of help tie in. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we talk a lot about theater being empathy training for the audience, but I think it is also, of course, empathy training for the actors because mm-hmm. you really do have to find a connection with this character that you're playing. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just not going to work, mm-hmm. right? It makes me laugh to have this conversation with you all because you seem to be so um, research <laughs> focused mm-hmm. and, 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 and definitely approaching the characters from an intellectual standpoint, maybe at least initially, and then mm-hmm. it kind of changes. But when I was thinking about some of this stuff for myself, I never start there. Mm-hmm. I, which is really funny because if you, if you know me, I'm, you know, I'm not a 
physical person. I don't I don't know how to move in any way that is anybody would want to see. <laughs> but I um but I almost always start with the character's body mm-hmm. and things like um what is like what is her resting pose on stage mm-hmm. and um you know how does she move her hands or sometimes um it will be it will have to do with the walk of a certain character mm-hmm. um i remember once i played a character this was a long time ago and she always walked in a grid and mm-hmm. um these were things that or one of my characters she always laughed with her mouth really wide open mm-hmm. and once i kind of picked that thing then everything else would kind of fall into mm-hmm. place. Or I remember for a while I was uh, on this, like finding the what my character smelled like. This is so weird. I can't believe mm-hmm. I'm sharing this with you, but it's really true. I was I thought, you know, what kind of a like what perfume would this person wear? Mm-hmm. What does she want to smell like to the world? And then it would help me to place a distance between myself as Tamara and this other character in a way that felt like I could more fully embody her. Mm-hmm. It's probably irritating to the cast. It was like, why does she smell so strong? <laughs> <laughs> but it really, really helped me. And then this this backstory stuff and the relationship, I think maybe I need to invest in that more. I certainly do when I'm preparing a character, but I feel like since all three of you, you know, really get into that as part of the meat of developing your character, maybe I need to embrace that a little bit more. Well, I, f- I feel the opposite <laughs> in a lot of ways, and um, not to you know just bring it back to to Norway. Please but do. Yeah, that's why I like some of these devised pieces because again, my my instinct is to go toward you know, that kind of intellectual place and to think about all the steps of the character and not that that's bad or wrong, but with a piece like this where you're building the character from scratch, you kind of can't do that. You know, a lot of it really is based on your physicality Mm -hmm. and your kind of emotion in that moment and Mm -hmm. really playing off of that other person and, you know, giving, giving what you're getting back from that person. So for me, that's one of the reasons I've really liked this exercise because it breaks me from my go-to place Mm -hmm. at least. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I I, I think it varies every single time. I don't think I ever approach any process the exact same way. I think when when I am doing Shakespeare, I definitely have to go through and, for for my sake, kind of translate the text a bit and decipher that first. While while research is super important, I I definitely don't go straight to that every Mm -hmm. single time. I think, for me, typically, it's, it's more so when I feel like I don't have knowledge right off the bat like I coming into Norway I didn't know that much about what happened and so I I watched a few documentaries just to inform myself and but it really didn't hit me until I I heard an interview with a girl who had lost her sister there and immediately I I thought okay that's that's what's happened here too so that is what Mm -hmm. um, your character has lost a sister in Norway Mm -hmm. okay a twin sister all right and so that was your inspiration for the creation of that character Mm -hmm. interesting Perhaps this is where some inspiration came with uh, with my character Solveig as well, and just in the greater sense of um, what inspires me in the in the world. And you know, I was thinking like, what gets my creative juices going? You mm-hmm. know, if I if I'm not able to um, see a piece of theater or see a, you know if I haven't watched a movie I've like been really inspired by lately, like what gets me excited? I was like, well, I love nature. Nature is beautiful, and being in nature always connects me. I feel like back to a sense of grounding and both a sense of being grounded, but also being 
out in the world at the same time. It's like very universal and you realize how small you are in this great scheme of beautiful things that are happening all around you. And and, and that always inspires me as well as books. I've always been into sci-fi, mm-hmm. um, you know, comic books, things like that have always, you know, kind of helped me feel think or look at things in a different way or um, explore or read different stories that are are original ideas that you just don't find in like classic literature or even, um, you know, visual art. I'm, I, one of my best friends is one of the, it's just a fantastic sculptor and painter. And there's sometimes pieces where I see that she does where I'm just like, moved and I'm and I feel like I want to do something with it like create a piece of film or to um I don't know like have it have it be seen in some way in some greater way so I think just all of those things as an artist inform me as an actor and me as a performer and a creator uh you know not just based off of characters or or people but it's even bigger than that, I think, um, for, for me at least. Uh, and finding inspiration in little things um, is a, one of the blessings, I, I feel like, that um, of being able to create. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that because I think part of our challenge as human beings is to be able to pay attention to what piques our interest. And there's so much noise. There's so many things happening. And it's all coming at us at once. But to be able to kind of lift up our heads and and see what might inspire us, just being open mm-hmm. to that idea, I think, is maybe one of the best things we can do for ourselves as creative mm-hmm. humans. Because you never know what it's going to be. Yeah. You never know if it's going to be a sculpture or, you know, a squirrel that crosses the road <laughs> yeah, or, exactly. you know, a commercial you see on TV mm-hmm. or something you overhear in the grocery store or whatever. You never know what that is going to what is going to spark you. Mm-hmm. And so just having that level of awareness and openness to the idea that we can be inspired by anything, mm-hmm. I think, is wonderful. And especially in pieces like what we're talking about with Norway, where you are creating it in a different kind of way, the, you, you really have to be open to more of what life has to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. I definitely agree. And I feel like I'm inspired. And I think it's, it's really important to be in tune to everything around you and kind of the external stimuli in terms of, you know, music and art and things like that. But for me, a lot of it also comes from being in tune to the internal as well. Um, I think a lot of times when I'm really inspired to, to work toward a piece or to read toward a piece, sometimes I'll kind of be dealing with the way that I'm feeling about any variety of things and want to delve into that more. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes for me, I like to be able to do that through another person or through literature or through a different kind of medium of art um, to kind of really explore emotions and how different people deal with them and historically how mm-hmm. that's played into things. So I think I like to I like the idea of being in tune to the external, but also being really in tune to the internal and wanting to kind of learn more about that in the in the greater kind of perspective, kind of bringing that out of yourself. Mm. So do you mean by making art, you go deeper into your own internal world? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think um, more in terms of it, sometimes it'll inform what I want to explore um, in terms of if I'm feeling a certain way, like, you know, on a personal level, why am I feeling that way? But how does that relate to how other people have felt that way and how they've dealt with it and how they've coped with it? Kind of like with Norway with mm-hmm. grief, but um, any variety of things kind of 
finding different mediums of art um, to help explain that to myself and to kind of decide how that plays into the greater world. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you all for being here Thank so you. much. Thank you. I will include links to Norway in the show notes and information about how folks can purchase tickets and oh, all sorts we of goodies. The zero dollar oh, ticket yeah. campaign. Oh yes. So okay. don't purchase tickets. It's completely accessible to anyone <laughs> who's able to come. It's zero dollars for a ticket. You can of course I think you can um reserve, reserve. like a like a spot um just so we have an idea of numbers. But it is it's gonna be a, a free show and we're we're really excited about this initiative. Right. The, so the entire season for mm-hmm. nineteen twenty is uh, zero tickets. Mm, zero dollar tickets. Right. <laughs> Not yes. at all zero tickets. Everyone should go. Very yeah. much tickets. Very, very much, much tickets. tickets. Very much zero dollars. Zero dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Course, you know, of course, you can find Little Green Pig on Patreon, and mm-hmm. um, that's kind of what we do to be able to kind of let us do these pieces over exactly. a long period of time. It's the idea of that sustainer model of, mm-hmm. you know, being able to support the arts over the long time so we can develop a piece over a year as opposed to worrying about, you know, ticket sales on one or you know six different evenings Mm -hmm. right thank you so much thank you hey friends i want to tell you about shadowbox studio where this episode was recorded shadowbox studio is durham's flexible rentable art and activity space shadowbox is perfect for video and photo shoots recording podcasts like this one, and holding movie screenings, classes, spy club meetings, or whatever else you can dream up. Find out more at shadowboxstudio.org. And here's a secret. If you tell them you heard it on Artist Soapbox, you'll get a $25 discount on your first rental. Isn't that awesome? <laughs>